They are the emperor's bodyguard. His ten thousand, the golden death. They are his noble emissaries and his pitiless executioners. By their hand are his secrets protected and his vaults guarded. Unswerving in their loyalty and unshakable in their purpose, they are the symbols of the emperor's unstoppable wrath. For ten thousand years have they stood sentinel over the master of mankind and defended his glorious palace. They are the finest warriors in the Imperium, physically and mentally fashioned to a design none but the Emperor himself can ever truly understand. They are an elevated elite whose raw strength and willpower are insurmountable. Each is highly independent and is an army unto himself. Clad in nigh-on impregnable oramite armor, it is with individually crafted weapons that the custodies cut down any who threatened the emperor. For ten thousand years they operated in the galaxy in secret. No more. Now they stride the stars in numbers not seen in millennia. Woe betide those who oppose them. Origins of the Custodes The Adeptus Custodes have been a part of the Imperium for as long as records exist. They were the Emperor's companions throughout the Great Crusade and before, advising, standing by his side, and protecting him through some of the greatest conflicts in all of human history. The story of their origins is known to few but themselves and for outsiders, it is all but impossible to learn anything about them. No student of imperial history knows how far back in time the Adeptus Custodes can trace their origins. Even the oldest and most fragmentary accounts recovered by Rabute Gilliman's Logos Historica Verita, include quotes that refer to the emperor being escorted by tall and mighty warriors clad in gold. Debate rages as to when the emperor first crafted the custodians. Most agree, however, that he would have inherited vast amounts of knowledge on gene forging from numerous scientist kings and technodemagogues, those that ruled over Terra's disparate tribes during old night and the dark periods that followed. Legend has it that the emperor rose around this time, and with his unimaginable intellect was able to make use of accumulated troves of gene-tomanic lore. It is this, the learned few argue, that allowed the emperor to make the custodies. The truth is hidden within crude cave etchings, hieroglyphics, stasis-locked scads of parchment, and gene-sealed tomes no living person can open. These fragments speak of trusted bodyguards and advisors, and great victories won against monstrous beings. Some historians know such texts exist, and are frustrated to no end by the fact that they can never access them. Most are lost or hidden 
whether that be on Terra, Mars, or a handful of other worlds. There is a similar lack of detail about the custodie's role in the Horus heresy that goes even beyond the usual sparsity of apocryphal sources that refer to that dark time. It is thought that the first custodie's leader was a warrior named Constantine Valdor, who disappeared from records after the Horus heresy. Many scholars with decades of experience, or in some cases more, believe that the custodies fought against the Thousand Sons on the Traitorous Legion's homeworld of Prospero and defended the Imperial Palace during Horus's assault against the throne world. A handful suggest that the Custodes fought a war parallel to that of the Horus heresy before the Siege of Terra, one that only they could have won, the details of which are now lost to time. It is impossible to separate myth from fact. Now, if folk know of the Custodes at all, it is as towering golden giants who bestrode the stars at the Emperor's command, living embodiments of his holy light given physical form, or gilded dragons of Terran myth whose talons tore the dark demons of scripture asunder. One thing is clear, however. The Horus heresy changed the custodies forever. In the final stages of that horrendous conflict, the Emperor met Horus in single combat aboard the Archtraitor's flagship, the Vengeful Spirit. He defeated and slew the War Master, but was mortally wounded by Horus in their titanic clash. In that moment, and for the only time before or since, the Custodes failed in their duty as the Emperor's bodyguards. For ten thousand years after, most Custodes never left the Imperial Palace or the Sol system, with only a handful making preemptive strikes where necessary elsewhere. Many donned black cloaks of mourning, and a near obsession to never leave the golden throne out of their sight took hold. They have ever borne the terrible shame of their failure and have sought to never forget it, nor be absolved of it. If the space marines are the scions of the Primarchs, then the custodies are the progeny of the Emperor. His might permeates them, burns in their eyes, and flows through their veins as surely as their blood. Potential custodians are taken in at a very young age to better survive, no older than late infancy. And it is a great honor for those of Terran noble houses to submit a son. Some clans have, in the past, given over entire generations of offspring to become inductees. When such individuals go forth to begin whatever processes lie ahead of them, huge crowds line the avenue of sacrifice, cheering and chanting frenzied prayers. The custodies also seek out suitable candidates by other means, or encounter them by chance on their missions to protect the throne world. What is clear 
is that none besides the custodies themselves truly know what criteria they require. How a custodian is made is an arcane and ancient process born out of the mind of the emperor himself. Made up of decades of alchemical augmentation, psychological and cognitive conditioning, and mimetic training. Custodies are created using technology dating back to the dark age of technology, honed by the emperor to make the perfect counselors, bodyguards, warriors, and executioners. To create beings with such a wide range of talents requires a total physical and mental rework on the candidate. The mindset and intelligence required to be of any use to such a being as the emperor is immense, to say the least. The Adeptus Custodes inductees are remade at a genetic level. Their baser drives rendered inert, and their beings turned towards aggression, fulfillment of duty, and goal acquisition. This process involves incredibly intricate gene craft and alchemistry as absolute and subtle as can be imagined. Working upon the most minute level of the candidate's cellular structure and genome. Only the most accomplished chirurgeons and bioalchemists carry out this work, many themselves recipients of enhancements of one kind or another. They do so in gilded laboratories hidden far away from even the most determined of prying eyes. The work done to a candidate is thus invisible, the process unique to each inductee. There are no organ implantations or surgical grafting. What is done to the custodies inductee is several degrees more exact and changing than work carried out to create a space marine, producing warriors much tougher, faster, stronger, and with greater intelligence than the Adeptus Astartes. Some argue that the process even affects a custodian's soul. Others theorize the change from inductee to custodian is metaphysical, or that it involves biomancy and other psychic techniques. It is quite possible that the alchemists who create the custodies do not themselves understand what they are doing, and are simply following procedures passed down to them by rote. It is thought that the emperor himself, whose mind no human augmented or otherwise, could ever hope to match, once oversaw the ascension of each custodian. It is not just the body of a custodian candidate that must change. Their mind must also be forged anew. A custodian must be totally loyal, remorseless, vigilant, and tireless. Their sense of duty to the emperor must be all that matters to them, their discipline reaching deeper into their psyche than unconscious desire. A custodian becomes duty. He becomes discipline. For this to happen, every inductee is mentally indoctrinated. Their psyches are rebuilt from the ground up, creating mental architecture as well fortified as the imperial palace itself. 
they undergo thousands of hours of psycho-conditioning, psychomimetic drilling, and mnemonic training. Information is drilled into their minds at such a punishing rate that some are driven mad. The custodies candidates' training and inoculation goes beyond the instilling of unstoppable determination. They must learn diplomacy, statecraft, astrogation, interstellar geography, history, philosophy, art, theosophy, artistry, and countless other subjects all of which they become true masters of. The emperor once demanded their counsel, and so they have to be versed in any manner of subject that he might consult them on. This ensures that the custodies retain the enlightenment and perspective commonplace during the Great Crusade. Additionally, the threats to the emperor are so myriad that they may manifest in any way. A custodian can trace the most innocent-sounding philosophical question to outright treachery, or foresee how a marauding alien force might grow to threaten Terra, even if it currently terrorizes a remote system at the edge of the galaxy. The custodies are also aware of truths that no one else in the Imperium has ever learned. They know some of the galaxy's gravest secrets, for they must be able to face down and defeat the darkest terrors of the galaxy. They recognize how far mankind has fallen from the original ideals of the Emperor of enlightenment and common sense. The inductees learn that many truths cannot be shared, that some would cause wholesale damage to the emperor's imperium. As corrupted from his original vision as it has become, some cannot handle this knowledge or bear the tragedy what the human race has descended into since the Horus heresy, when their forebears failed in their solemn duty. These candidates do not become custodies, and so through this learning are the unworthy and the weak cold. No outsider knows how long it takes to make a custodian, or even whether there is some kind of formal process each inductee must follow. With every candidate being genetically distinct, it is quite possible that some need significantly more work than others to fulfill the great vision the emperor had for his bodyguards. The individuality displayed by each custodian seems to support such a view. Though the emperor required unflinching loyalty, it seems clear that he desired the uniqueness of each of his bodyguards to be maintained. Such is the intensity and brutality of the process candidates undergo. Many thousands do not survive. It is of little surprise that the custodies have become known as the Ten Thousand. The harsh process they go through means it is highly unlikely that their numbers could ever substantially exceed such a figure. That being said, no one outside the custodies knows the organization's real strength and it is a fact kept as secret as any in the entire Imperium. With so many custodies fighting throughout the galaxy now, 
it is even harder than before to count. It is not impossible that the name 10,000 has been cultivated to deliberately mask the organization's true size and to help deny that knowledge to any enemy. Those survivors of the induction process that emerge as custodians are changed in every way imaginable. Their minds so altered that they have entirely new personalities. They are rendered physically perfect, and their skills with all kinds of weapons are sublime. Custodians even change their names, choosing those of gods, kings, or heroes drawn from the most ancient texts. With enormously extended lifespans, they do not grow old as humans do, but they can be slain in combat. Members of their own families would not recognize them should they be alive to see what has happened to their son, nephew, or cousin, though many would claim they could out of pride. Each custodian is blessed with protections that leave them less vulnerable to the powers of both the Psyker and the Null, making them perfectly suited to fight alongside the Sisters of Silence. Additionally, the Custodies never exhibit psychic powers of their own, as though battlefield psychers are undoubtedly powerful living weapons, they are also incredibly unstable ones. Their minds are prone to invasion by warp entities, and this is a danger no custodian will ever face. It appears that the Emperor wished for no chink in the defenses of his bodyguards, thus granting them no gift of psychic ability. In all this, a custodian is designed to be the death of any being or creature that might threaten the emperor, and so they are superior in every way. As comparable to a space marine as a space marine is to an unaugmented human, they are the greatest mankind has to offer. Though few can say for sure if they are human any longer. Sisters of Silence Also known as the Pale Scourge, the Soulless Ones, the Irene, the Knoll Maidens, and the Daughters of the Abyss, the Sisters of Silence are highly specialized witch-finders they are experts in hunting down rogue psychers, dangerous warlocks, and depraved sorcerers, both human and alien. Their remit to hunt down magi and witches ensures that they are constantly at war, for these nefarious foes dwell everywhere. Hardened warriors all they pronounce the Emperor's judgment with bolt, flame, and blade. Every member of the Silent Sisterhood has the pariah gene, and is thus what the Imperium refers to as a pariah, null, or blank. One in a trillion, pariahs appear to have no presence in the warp, they are, for all intents and purposes, soulless. Rather than a flickering light in the Empyrean, as most human souls are said to be, a blank soul is more like a yawning void, a black pit of nothingness that devours the unlight of the warp. To psychers, whose presence and sensitivity in the warp is greater than that of others, 
This makes the Sisters of Silence anathema. The mere presence of one of these knolls is soul-draining. The Psyker's connection to the warp breaks down, and their spells and power dissipate and fail. In real space, being soulless does not make a blank some kind of harmless automaton. Instead, they have a tangible effect on others. Those around them who aren't psychers still recoil in their presence. It is as if the body reacts in a preternatural way to something it knows is contrary to the natural order of existence. This effect makes the Sisters of Silence feared on an instinctive level and gives them enormous advantages in both battle and interrogation. Though it has made difficult for them to secure allies in the Imperium's endless internal political squabbles. The origins of the Sisters of Silence are even more mysterious than those of the Custodians. Some scholars contend that the Emperor, being such a powerful psychic being, would never have initiated the creation of a warrior order of gnolls. Others argue that only a being with his foresight and wisdom could have done such a thing. All sources are fragmentary at best, and often quote distant and lost works. Most of the Silent Sisterhood's early achievements, if any record was made in the first place, are now forgotten or dismissed as apocrypha, though the limited sources agree that the sisters had access to areas only the emperor and the custodies could enter. Regardless of their origins, it seems obvious that the purpose of the Silent Sisterhood's formation was to hunt down and capture or eliminate psychers of all kinds throughout the Imperium. They have been nominally a part of the Adeptus Astra Telepathica for all of their existence, though in practice have always had a significant autonomy from this organization. The Sisters of Silence see to their own recruitment finding the strongest blanks on their own missions or being given them by rogue traders and other shady operatives. Even such strong-willed individuals seek to dispose of blanks as quickly as possible. These novices are subjected to the harshest training regiments and tests of loyalty. They take the vow of tranquility upon completion of their training, in which they swear eternal duty and silence. None doubt the Silent Sisterhood played a role in the Horror's heresy, and what sources remain often obliquely allude to them fighting alongside the Emperor's custodians. What is clear is that they fell from grace in that terrible conflict's aftermath. Their numbers were much reduced by the fighting, and many of those that survived were scattered or lost. Without the Emperor to support them, and with the custodians looking inward after their failure to protect the Master of Mankind, the natural aversion many felt towards blanks led the sisters' political enemies to drive them out of positions of influence. With their numbers so depleted and spread out, they lacked the strength to assert themselves against the growing power of the ecclesiarchy, which argued that soulless creatures could not possibly have faith. For years, 
Many of those who had been aware of the Silent Sisterhood's existence believed the Order to have been disbanded. They were wrong. The Hallowed Vaults The talents of the Emperor have permission to access gene-sealed vaults and adamantine-shielded archive bunkers deep beneath the Himalayic shelf that are closed to all others. To protect them is just one of the many responsibilities held by these ancient and esoteric orders. Their duties are varied, specialized, and fathomless in their complexity. Should they fail, the consequences for the Imperium would be beyond disastrous. Thus, they are never allowed a moment of laxity or introspection. The most learned of Imperial Historiators cannot even imagine what treasures and horrors are kept within the Imperial Palace's vaults, archives, and jails. There are more chambers and cells than anyone can name, and much of what lies therein is so dreadful that they could bring about the fall of humanity or shatter the sanity of any unaugmented human that learned of them. Relics of the Dark Age of Technology, such as the Lament of Unreason and the Black Parapet of Rai Thalin, and the hideous Triblight Amulet, are kept under physically charged lock and key behind meters-thick slabs of gene-sealed adamantine that are covered in runic wards. There are also Xenos artifacts, some all that remains of civilizations that became extinct millions of years ago. The vaults not only hold artifacts and relics, however, they also hold beings. It that craves, subject eleven, and one of the fell are but a handful of thousands. At times, the custodies have even had to hold back the horrifying denizens of the rune-locked vaults from breaking free of their imprisonment. Only the Adeptus Custodes may decide who can have an audience with the Emperor. Such an honor is granted in only the most unusual circumstances. Not one enemy has gained access to his throne room in 10,000 years. This responsibility falls to the Companions a 300-strong force of custodians who serve as the direct bodyguards of the Emperor. Each is hand-picked by the Captain General following a painstaking assessment based on the candidate's performance in battle, mental acuity, and spiritual fortitude, alongside many other factors. Rank and veteran status have no bearing on selection. For the custodians, there is no more important duty. When about their duties, the companions are arranged in ranks around the golden throne. They stand completely still, unspeaking, and poised on the cusp of readiness. This they do for incredible amounts of time, though they can rotate out of their position for rest. Even with periods of recovery, this task 
is a purgatorial one that is both mentally and spiritually exhausting. When the Captain General decides a companion has served long enough, they are replaced. This is no dishonor, merely a pragmatic recognition that no custodian can fulfill such a duty indefinitely. The list of duties that fall to the custodies is long and ever adapting as new threats emerge. Custodians oversee the soul-bonding ritual, in which thousands of psychers each day are drained of their life force to sustain the emperor, and thus the astronomican. The custodies are also responsible for the defense of the imperial palace, a fortress as large as a small nation. To ensure the emperor's safety, however, the custodies must look beyond the palace's walls, beyond Terra, and out into the Sol system. Here, they have outposts, relay and auger stations, and keeps from which they monitor every ship that enters Sol space. Finally, their vigil extends to the rest of the galaxy, for out there are threats unnumbered to be found. Talons of the Emperor Not since the Great Crusade have the talons of the Emperor been so visibly active in the wider galaxy. Armed with some of the most devastating weaponry available to any branch of the Imperial military, they smite rogue psychers, purge mutant uprisings, stamp out rebellions, and curtail the insidious schemes of alien and traitor alike in service of the Golden Throne. For 10,000 years, the Adeptus Custodes have maintained the security of the Sol system, the throne world, and the Imperial Palace itself. They have done this in myriad ways, and when not actively pursuing threats to the Emperor, they are in a constant state of learning and training. The custodies conduct fractal thought exercises, year-long strategic cogitations, and elaborate hallucinarium mock conflicts, all in preparation for any danger that may present itself, including an all-out siege of Terra. The Blood Games are another way in which the Custodes train and improve their defenses. In these exercises, a Custodian is nominated as Invader or Assassin, and they have the task of testing routes of attack to breach the Imperial Palace's walls and reach the Golden Throne, or one of Terra's other key infrastructure sites. By this method, custodies identify and resolve weaknesses, and the tenacity and determination of the custodian himself is tested and improved. Even after the emperor was sat atop the golden throne, the custodies launched forays out into the wider galaxy where they deemed there to be threats grave enough. It was upon Gilliman's return, however, that the Custodes truly took up arms to go out into the galaxy in larger numbers, to stamp out threats to the Emperor far and wide. The Custodes were designed to be the death of anything 
they might have to face in any context and are tireless, vigilant, and remorseless. When they strike, they can annihilate foes much greater in number and to have advantage of supply, defensive walls, and geographic position. Nonetheless, the custodies are not an army per se and are not expected to prosecute war. Instead, their purpose is to utterly dominate any battle zone they fight in. They are a paramilitary force, not a strategic one, created to serve as bodyguards and eliminators of specific threats. The custodies have always benefited from the magisterium Lex Ultima, rendering them beyond all law save that of the emperor. Thanks to this, they can draw upon every facet of the Imperium's military, and it is this they use to command any vessel they require to traverse the stars or to serve any other purpose they deem necessary. Some ships have served with the custodies on so many occasions they have effectively become permanently attached to the 10,000. Nonetheless, the custodies maintain some warships of their own, notably Falchion-class battleships. On occasion, custodians must respond so swiftly to a threat that there is no time to commandeer a vessel, and so maintaining their own immediately available battleships is essential to them. The Magisterium Lex Ultima also means that none can give the Custodes orders besides the Emperor himself. Even Gilliman can only request their aid, and it is to the Imperium's great benefit that Valoris agreed that the Custodes should take more active role in the galaxy. In fact, the Captain General was more than willing, having already begun preparing his order for greater activity beyond the Sol system. Nothing is spared to ensure that the Custodes have the very best war gear in the Imperium, in any volume they require. In acquiring their vast arsenal of weaponry, the custodies have no regard whatsoever for the amount of resources required, nor the rarity of the components necessary. They are armed deliberately to be able to deal with threats both within the realm of mankind and without. Being better equipped in every way imaginable is just one way in which the custodies assure their superiority. Every custodian's weapons are handcrafted especially for him by entire generations of hereditary artisans whose families have only ever worked for the custodies. These craftsmen themselves have been gene-forged to enhance traits of dexterity and extreme patience, which improve their skills even further. Every weapon and piece of war gear is an individual masterwork and a sublime example of craftsmanship. In addition to incredible efficacy in battle, every weapon is a work of art, decorated with unique flourishes and designs. It is even possible that, in the very deep past, entire subcults of the old Mechanicum were cloistered within the Imperial Palace 
to produce some elements of the custodies' weaponry. Before Rabute Gilliman's return, the Sisters of Silence were exiled, operating in virtual secrecy. At best, they were ignored by the wider Imperium. At worst, they were persecuted by its most fanatical elements, with some even being burned as witches. This all changed with the Primarch's return. He remembered the sisters' value and importance, and knew that with the forces of chaos being never more powerful, he would need warriors with the sisters' unique skills. After the Battle of Luna, where he fought alongside them, he declared the Dispensatus Anathema. Those sisters who had stood beside him were to be dispatched to find others of their kind in neighboring sectors. Many of those they discovered came to Terra, their collective sense of duty still strong. Gilliman ordered the restoration of the Somnus Citadel on Luna, the sisters' ancient fortress that had been abandoned during the Horus heresy and had since fallen into ruin. He also appointed Sister Aserma, one of the convent on the planet Elex, as sister commander of the entire Silent Sisterhood. She is vowed to grow her ranks, as well as never let her order's power be weakened by other imperial bodies. There is much work to be done in this regard, as new prison fortresses are built for the ever-swelling numbers of psychers claimed by the Great Tithe, and old and abandoned keeps that the sisters once managed are restored. This has not been easy. Even with Gilliman's support, the sisters' old enemies, the Ecclesiarchy, to name one, have not gone away, and are very concerned with the Silent Sisterhood's sudden renaissance. The Sisters of Silence have played a significant role in the Indominus Crusade, with a portion of their number joining every fleet. Their strange powers, which they can project if circumstances demand, calm the tumultuous energies of the warp. Their ships race to relieve worlds beleaguered by the threat of the Psyker, and the sisters' increased activity in the galaxy has led to the slaughter of countless warlocks and witches, both traitor and alien alike. As the number of the psychers seems to have grown, the Sisters of Silence have come into their own. They are immune to empiric power. Their minds cannot be taken over, their bodies cannot be possessed, and their perceptions cannot be altered by psychic influence. Many sisters fight alongside the Adeptus Custodes of the Torchbearer fleets, rapidly moving forces whose sole purpose is to seek out space marine chapters and give them the secrets of Belisarius Call's Primaris technology. The Silent Sisterhood is quickly earning a reputation for indispensability amongst Imperial Command. On countless occasions, the sisters have prevented armadas from being consumed by the warp on dangerous journeys, or turned the tide in battles thought lost to the forces of the arch-enemy. With newfound support, organization, and confidence, the Sisters of Silence have stepped up their activity 
in every regard. Though in comparison to most other imperial forces, they remain vanishingly rare. Still, the sisters are a relentless force who answer to none but the golden throne. They are coldly rational, possess great tactical discipline, and are as adept at utilizing stealth and counter-surveillance as they are at launching rapid, overlapping assaults of bolter, flamer, and blade. The Silent Sisterhood knows the value of shock, awe, and terror, capitalizing on their horrific abilities to destroy mind-plagued soldiers, mutants, armed cults, or physically compelled puppets. Used to being outnumbered, they strike quickly to avoid being overwhelmed and specialize in close-quarter combat. Despite all the terrors they have witnessed, their conditioning and determination drive them again and again to confront the unspeakable horrors they face. Few can stand against them when the sisters commit to action. In addition to serving with the Indomitus Crusade fleets, the Silent Sisterhood pursues its own agendas and fights its own wars. Some battle alongside the Inquisition and infamous hunter squads of the black ships. Formations of sisters have infiltrated the hyperspatial tunnels of the webway, neutralized spectral attacks in strategically vital war zones, and raided demon worlds revealed by the ebbing and flowing of the Great Rift. There is a hint of feral barbarism in the manner and appearance of the Sisters of Silence. Their armor is ornate and knightly, inset with gems and with flourishes of imperial iconography. And they have topknots of long hair that they leave unshorn unless a sworn quarry has escaped them. Their cadres and subunits frequently adopt totem-like names, referring to predatory animals. For all the cold rationale of the Silent Sisterhood, for all its precision and careful training and discipline, they are hunters. To hunt is to fulfill a primal human urge, one that brings out the thrill of the chase and even bloodlust. The sisters, though soulless, are thus not totally above the ways of humanity into which they are born and fight for. In the era Indominus, much of the silent sisterhood's more esoteric weaponry, that with which it prosecuted its missions during the Great Crusade, have long been since lost to time. One of Sister Commander's Asurma's priority is to rearm. The Sisters of Silence once had vast amounts of technology that was never even heard of, let alone used outside of their ranks. Past Sisters had access to vast arrays of psi negation and disruption technology, as well as bespoke vehicles and other assets, some of which were rumored to have been fashioned by the Emperor himself. The equipment the sisters still have is, as it always was, extremely resource-intensive. The required materials are rare and obscure and even harder to acquire in quantity since the emergence of the Great Rift. Nonetheless, Asurma has ordered their acquisition to be made a priority, and is backed by Rabute Gilliman. 
Trajan Valoris, Captain General, Chief Custodian, First of the Ten Thousand. Many claim that Trajan Valoris is the greatest warrior who have ever held the title of Captain General, one of the most powerful military appointments in the Imperium. Valoris is responsible for the overall defense of the Sol system, Terra, and the Emperor himself. He has stood amongst the ranks of the High Lords of Terra and leads great military campaigns of the Ten Thousand. Trajan Valoris seems to have been marked for greatness from early on. Having completed two blood games within the first ten years of his service. A superlative tactician and aggressive fighter, he was swiftly elevated to the Alaris custodians. While there, he won many names for his heroic actions, which included breaking a system-wide network of Alpha Legion cult cells in Darjan destroying the orc mega-gargant factories of Big Mac Evistomp and stamping out the early awakening of a Necron tomb on Zarthan Seven. Valoris later went on to serve 22 years amongst the Companions, the direct bodyguards of the Emperor, but was reassigned due to his clear desire to take the fight to the enemy and identify distant and inchoate threats. Shortly after, he was promoted to shield captain and spent centuries leading sorties from Terra. Recognizing his aggression as a potential source of inefficiency, Valoris honed his temperament deliberately matching his fierceness with comprehensive foreknowledge, which he did in part by cultivating networks of informants all over the Imperium. He became known for observing his enemies carefully, predicting their movements, and launching a decisive blow, always attacking at the optimum time and place. Valoris was declared Captain General after the fall of Andros Lonstre and took up the armaments of his new title. These include the huge polearm known as the Watcher's Axe and the Castellan Plate, a suit of armor incorporating an oramite halo and a cloak made of woven adamantine thread which flows like cloth, but can turn aside blast and blade alike. He also carries the Moment Shackle, a relic from the Dark Age of Technology that lets Valoris trap fragments of temporal energy, slow local time, or even excise split seconds from history. Under Valoris's leadership, the number of blood games has increased tenfold. Defenses of stable warp routes to Terra have been strengthened, the Custodes spy network has expanded, and countless threats, both on Terra and beyond, have been expunged. He even called back some of these Sisters of Silence in secret before Gilliman's return. It was almost as if he had foreseen the Primarch's return to the Imperium. The Adeptus Custodes have never been in a better position to take the fight to the stars than with Valoris at the helm. Some have suggested that the Moment Shackle gives Valoris some kind of rare insight into what the future holds, helping him to make the most timely and important decisions. Regardless of the truth, his incredible leadership, 
martial and decision-making qualities make him an ideal leader for the Adeptus Custodes in the era Indominus. <laughs>